Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Mark, if I haven't met you. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as Rod said, uh, I'm going to be finishing off this uh, small three-week series we've begun as a church, thinking about our mission. Uh, let's pray together, and uh, then let's have a think uh, together. Uh, great God, thank you so much for your love towards us in Jesus. Thank you that he's the reason why we're here today, uh, because you have saved us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your son who you love, the kingdom of light. Uh, Lord, thanks that we have the privilege of meeting together as your people and hearing you speak to us in your word. Please, God, as we spend some time together now uh, with our Bibles open, uh, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us in Scripture by your Holy Spirit uh, and give us the faith to respond in obedience. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, There's a a famous story that you might have heard, uh, and it goes like this. There was a, a... an Antarctic exploration about to happen, early 20th century England. A guy by the name of Ernest Shackleton, he was an Antarctic explorer, and he was putting a crew together to go on this mission to cross the Antarctic. As the story goes, he placed this ad in a bunch of London newspapers. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Honour and recognition in event of success. It's a great ad, isn't it? Uh, I used to work in recruitment before I uh, became a pastor. And can I tell you, I would never write an ad like this if I was trying to get people to come and sign up for my thing in a million years. It's a crazy kind of an idea to invite people to join a mission like this in a way like this, isn't it? But, you know, as the story goes, this ad was so successful that over 5,000 men came to Ernest Shackleton and said that they wanted to be a part of this expedition. 5,000 men clamouring to take part in this mission to cross the Antarctic. People who couldn't wait to just give and get on board and pay the price and do whatever sacrifices need to be made, endure all the hardship for the sake of this great mission of crossing the Antarctic. Now, that story, there's questions over whether it's actually true or not, but regardless, it's a great story, isn't it? And I think what's so helpful about that story is that it helps us as Christians to think about our response to the amazing invitation that God has issued to us to take part in his mission. This is the mission that we've been talking about for the last two weeks. It's blazoned on the wall to know Christ and make him known. That's our game here at WBC. That's what we are on about. And that mission that God is inviting us to take part in, it is so much bigger and so much more momentous than just crossing the Antarctic, isn't it? Think about this mission that God has invited us to. God has called us to die to ourselves. He has called us to carry our cross and to follow the crucified Saviour through this life on the narrow path as exiles, as pilgrims through this world towards our heavenly home. And he's called us along the way to do everything we can to call people to come join us, take part in this, flee from the wrath to come and find your salvation. That mission is so much greater than just crossing the Antarctic. And so, friends, shouldn't our response be so much greater than those 5,000 men who put their hand up to join Ernest Shackleton? How much more should we be people who are willing to risk it all, give it all, sacrifice it all for the sake of God's mission? Friends, if the gospel is true, then the people of God should be willing to do whatever it takes to support and, and resource God's mission. 
That's the topic that we're thinking about today, resourcing the mission. And as we have done over this little series of the last couple of weeks, rather than doing kind of one long talk, we're actually going to break this up and do two kind of smaller talks with a gap in the middle. And so what I want to do with this first 10 or 15 minutes with you now is I want to remind you of some things. Before we start thinking about, well, how do we actually resource God's mission? We'll do that in the second talk. What I want to do first is I want to remind you of things that I hope you already know, and that is why you should resource God's mission, why you should be on board with God's great plan to make Jesus famous in this world. That's what I'm going to talk about first. And what I actually want to show you is two reasons, two reasons why you should be on board with God's mission. The first one is this. We have to acknowledge just off the bat that the first reason why we should be involved is because we're obligated to. We're obligated to. Now, I realize that's a very strange kind of a place to begin, like a recruitment pitch. Come get involved in God's mission. You must. Uh, I understand that. Uh, But this is a truth. There is a truth here that is so fundamental to our faith, so fundamental to the Bible, that it's actually really easy for us to overlook what is underneath this truth. The truth is that God made everything and God owns everything. That's the truth behind this. God made everything and God owns everything. And that's inescapable if you read the Bible, right? Page one of your Bible, Genesis chapter one, what do you do? You meet this powerful creator who speaks everything into existence, right? And the way that Genesis chapter one is kind of structured, it's written in such a way to make us see that God rules over everything. There's nothing outside of God's domain in this creation, right? God is the God of the light and the darkness. He's the God of the sky, but also the God of the land and the sea. He is the God of the sun, but also the moon and the stars. He's the God of the plants and the creatures. And yes, he is the God of humanity as well. That is what Genesis 1 is trying to get us to see. Everything falls under God's umbrella. And actually, if you were reading Genesis chapter 1 some 3,000 years ago, that would be blowing your mind. Because if you were an ancient Israelite living in that part of the world, all of your neighbors, they didn't just have one God, you know. They had many gods, lots of gods. And their gods were each responsible for one part of creation. And so you had a god of agriculture. You had a sun god. You had a fertility god. That is the gods of the nation, but the God that we meet at the beginning of the Bible, indeed, all the way throughout, is a God who is sovereign over everything. Everything is his. He made it all, and he owns it all. And I hope I'm not breaking any news to you when I say that that is the God of the Bible. I hope you know that, because it is written on just about every page in Scripture. And so what I'm going to do, just really quickly, is just run you through a few examples showing you that this is a truth that we must deal with. Uh, And so have a a read of some of the verses coming up on the screen. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, uh, uh, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Leviticus 25, uh, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. You reside in the land as foreigners and strangers. Uh, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. Or how about Psalm 50? For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. Haggai chapter 2, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. Act 17, God gives him, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You see what's, what's being shown to us time and time again in scripture. God made everything. God owns 
everything, every single second of every single day that this universe has existed, every single thing in it has always belonged to God. Uh, All of this stuff that you see, every atom you lay your eyes on is God's intellectual property, if you like. And we quite often forget that, don't we? It's really easy for us to forget that God stakes a claim on everything in this universe, right? We make that mistake of thinking, no, that this, the stuff that we have, that's actually ours. <laughs> it's not God's, it's ours. And that's a crazy, crazy thing to believe. Uh, this was kind of brought home to me recently because our daughter, Alyssa, she's almost three years old. Uh, she's just kind of reaching that stage where she's starting to become really possessive of stuff. And so if you've got something that she thinks is hers or something that she wants to be hers, well, she's going to make it hers. She'll grab it from you and say, it's mine. And she's doing this more and more at the moment, uh, whether it's to do with clothes or to do with food. Uh, Even she'll do it when it comes to her baby brother, Silas. And so if she's just having a little play with our three-month-old son, Silas, and we have to take him to go and put him to bed, you know, she'll say, no, he's my brother. As if she's kind of got a claim on him, as if she owns this little thing. It's crazy, isn't it? Because my daughter doesn't own a thing. (laughs) She doesn't own anything. Everything, literally everything in her existence has been given to her by someone else. She hasn't made any of it. She hasn't earned any of it. It's a gift. She doesn't own anything. And that that attitude of holding on to stuff and saying, it's mine, it's just such an ugly attitude, isn't it? It's an ugly way of thinking. And so Catherine and I are trying to teach Alyssa what's wrong with thinking that way. But as we've been doing that, I've realized myself that I fall into that trap of thinking all too regularly myself when it comes to the things that God has given me. Do you do this? No, God, this is my free time, God. It's off limits. No, God, that's my savings account, God. Don't touch that. Now, God, these are my relationships, my friendships. Can you stay out of them? We would be wise to remember, I think, that God has a claim on our stuff well before we do. Uh, All of our possessions, all of our time, all of our relationships, our assets, our savings, everything, it's all God's. We just happen to be holding it for a while. And so if you search through scripture, you will not find a single verse that suggests to you that God has relinquished his ownership to me, to you, to anyone else. He hasn't done it. And so, and so this question that we're probably all asking here, well, okay, why should I give my resources to God's mission? If that's the question you're asking, you've got to understand that's the wrong question to ask in the first place, isn't it? It's not that we give our resources to God's mission. They're God's resources in the first place. They're God's and he gets to decide how they are used. Can you imagine you're starting a new job and your boss comes up to you and he gives you a work laptop to do your job on? You would never in a million years say, oh, thanks, I'm going to use this for a doorstop. That'd be great, thanks. I'm going to use this laptop as a serving tray. You would never do that, no, because the boss has given it to you. The boss gets to decide what that's used for, right? It's exactly the same when it comes to the resources that we have in life. They belong to God. They are his to decide what they are used for. And God decides that all resources in the universe are to be used for his glory. That's the first answer to the question, why should we resource God's missions? Because we're living in his world. We're obligated to. Everything that we have, everything that we see is his to begin with. 
That's the first answer. But it's not just that we should resource God's mission. It's not just that we're obligated. If you're a Christian here today, then I hope that your heart at this point is singing out and saying, no, I, I want to do that. I want to give to God's mission as well. Because if you are a gospel person, if you're somebody who's understood the grace of God shown to you in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are going to be moved and inspired to give and to sacrifice and to support and to resource God's mission with everything that you have. Why? Because you will know that God has already shared so much with you. He has generously shared everything with you. Just have a think about all of the things that our kind God has given us. He's he's given us this amazing creation to live in rent-free. He has given us his image, us, unique in all of creation. We get to be image bearers of God. God has given us every good thing in our lives as a gift. It has come from his hand to us. Everything we have is a gift. God has shared so much with us. But it's more than that, isn't it? Because the the greatest thing that God has shared with us is his only son, Jesus. Even when we were God's enemies, uh, Jesus came to earth and shared in our flesh and blood. He took our sins on his shoulders. He took our shame and our disgrace. Jesus even shared our experience of death so that we wouldn't have to. It's unfathomable that that a creator would be so generous towards rebellious creatures. But that is the God that we love and worship. A God who gives us grace when we are undeserving. A God who gives us redemption by crushing his own son. That is an amazing gift. And it is the best gift that God has shared with us. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just the gift of his son. God doesn't just wipe the slate clean for us. God then shares Jesus' righteousness with us. He gives us more of Jesus. He gives us his spirit living in our hearts. He gives us an internal inheritance. In fact, the Bible even says that through Christ, God shares his glory with us. That's Romans chapter 8. Can you get your head around that? Friends, God has been so generous, hasn't he? He has shared so much with us. And so just to to kind of draw this together, what this means for us, friends, is that as Christians, our lives belong to God twice over. We are God's twice over. First, because he created us and he owns us. But second, because he purchased us and he redeemed us. Our lives are God's twice over. And so it's that generosity that God has shown to us, that sharing that he has done in the gospel that should move us and inspire us to give and sacrifice and support and resource God's mission with everything we've got. Friends, if you understand the grace of the gospel, then you will want to use everything you have to see God glorified, to see his kingdom grow, and to see his church built up. Because when the, when the gospel grips you, you can't help but be somebody who puts their hand up and says, yes, God. I'll give everything I have to you. Use it however you want. I'm here for your service. That's what happens when the gospel grips you. How could we not respond in that way when God has given everything for us? I want to introduce you to uh, somebody uh, by the name of James Harrison. He'll come up on the screen. James Harrison uh, is a 78-year-old man who lives on the Central Coast in New South Wales. 
Uh, he had a very interesting childhood, James Harrison. He had a very bad medical condition that resulted in him needing to have a lung removed at the age of 14. Uh, and in the midst of that operation, something went wrong, and James Harrison needed to have a blood transfusion. So he was given some blood, and what happened in the result of that was that his body developed a very special and a very rare antibody. And that antibody in his blood is so unique and so precious that doctors have used that antibody to create a vaccine called Anti-D, uh, which is used to uh, treat pregnant women with the rare rhesus disease. Uh, this is what James Harrison said about the event. He said, when I came out of the operation, or a couple of days after, my father was explaining what had happened. He said, I had received 13 litres of blood, and my life had been saved by unknown people. He, referring to his father, was a donor himself. So I said, when I'm old enough, I'll become a blood donor too. And he did. James Harrison became a blood donor, and he has given blood over a thousand times. And that vaccine that his blood helps create has saved the lives of over 2 million Australian babies over the last 60 years, including probably some of the people sitting here in this room. You have him to thank for your life. James Harrison received something incredibly precious. It saved his life. And he was moved to give and to give and to give and to keep on giving as much as he possibly could in response. Friends, that is what the gospel does to us. I want to show you a couple of places where we see that dynamic taking place in the New Testament so you don't think I'm just plucking this out of thin air. Uh, let me show you, for example, in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, this is a point in uh, the letter where John is trying to urge these Christians to show love and concern and care for one another. And so this is what he writes. See if you can pick up on it. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see the connection there in verse 16. Because of God's sacrificial love to us in the gospel, we ought to show sacrificial love to others. You have received now you give. That's, that's the paradigm here. You've received in the gospel, now you give. I'll show you that other place as well that Suzanne read out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 9. This is a point in Paul's letter where he's writing to the Corinthian Christians, telling them about the Macedonian Christians, the Gentile Christians who have given so generously to support the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who are starving because of a famine. Uh, and so let's pick it up at verse 3, see what he says here. Verse 3, for I testify that they, the Macedonians, have given as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. That's an amazing description, isn't it? Have you ever met somebody who falls into that category? Pleading with you for the privilege of serving and giving. It's incredible. This is what God's grace does. And so what, he, what Paul says then in verse 8, he's trying to urge the Corinthians to also kind of give to this cause financially. And so verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest, earnestness of others. In verse 9, here's, here's the key. Here's the gospel motivation. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You get it? 
God gave it all for you. Though he was rich, he became poor so that you might be lifted out of poverty and experience all the riches of Christ. You are rich in Christ. The implication, give. You've received, now give. You've received, now give. Go and resource God's mission. And so, friends, as I conclude here, I just want you to see that there is a double reason, a double reason why we must resource and support God's mission. We are obligated to, but we're also inspired to by the grace of the gospel. And so let me just ask you this morning, are you on board with that? Are you on board with resourcing God's mission? Have you put your hand up and said, yes, I'll do whatever it takes, Lord? Maybe the way you could think about this is to imagine as if God had placed one of those help-wanted ads in the newspaper. Can we get that one up, Ken? You, you can use your imagination. There we go. Imagine God places this ad. All wanted for life or death mission. Hard work, much sacrifice, retirement only upon death. Safe arrival guaranteed joy and commendation upon completion that is our mission the question is will you resource that mission this is our midpoint break in this sermon and so we're going to provide an example now of um serving and at the same time um launch our new series handbook. Um, so you've been hearing um, about us um, looking at Luke 6 to 9 over this first couple of terms, and uh, we usually have a Bible study booklet, um, but we've done something much uh, grander this time, um, as you can see from this colour um, brochure, and it has a lot more to it. So I'm going to ask um, Sarah, who's uh, coming up now, I'm going to interview her um, about her part in that, and I'll talk a little bit more about the series handbook in a moment. So um, thanks, Sarah. Um, you were involved in the production of this. So uh, how did you assist in putting this together? Yeah, well, Simon and I were asked to help create um, weekly family discipleship time. So uh, opportunities for parents to sit with their kids over God's word and talk about um, God's word together. Mm-hmm. So um, that's all in here, as well as the Bible study questions. So uh, it's a multifaceted thing. But um, uh, I know you have five children, and so you've probably been busy over the last few weeks as this thing was being put together. Um, so why uh, did you serve in this way? Why did you get involved? Yeah, a few reasons. Partly because I have five children. And um, as a mum, Simon and I together as parents, our deepest desire is to see our kids come to know and love and serve Jesus. And we uh, take that really seriously. We want um, to do um, the task of helping our children know Jesus the best that we can. And we do that in lots of different ways, not always well, um, um, by just talking to them about it, celebrating, um, taking opportunities to celebrate Christmas and Easter, birthdays, all those things to help point them to Jesus. But um, a really important way is to actually sit down with them over God's word. And that's something that probably we are not super great at. Um, So to have a resource that um, 
hopefully is good, um, you'll see, um, but is actually going to create that opportunity for our family but also other families in the church um, we think is really important to do. And we wanted to create something that uh, enabled that but also meant that you could use it every day of the week. But if that didn't suit your family in terms of time, and I understand the pressures of time, um, you could just even do it one or two days a week and that would work really well. Um, We really think that God uses family to bring people into his kingdom. We're part of God's family. He wants families to be part of his family. Um, And so we really take that seriously. But we're also just really excited. Like this book is pretty pretty amazing. Um, Not necessarily a bit, but just the concept of being able to have family devotion times, quiet times, sermon notes, Bible studies and extra resources all in one spot to pull what we do here as a church together. It's just a really amazing resource that we've been given um and so it's exciting to be part of the creation of that resource yeah Yeah. thank you sarah so this is why we're calling it a series handbook it's a multifaceted um, resource we're hoping it'll be useful for everyone if you're not in a home group we'd love you to be in one even if you're not please um, get one because then you'll be able to take notes for the sermons there's room for that in this coming series Um, so if you've been wondering about the cut down version of the um uh, bulletin that you're getting, which just has what's on and some prayer points. Well, we're saving some trees in that, but we're providing space elsewhere uh, for notes to be taken, as well as for this discipleship time with family, as well as the questions for our home groups. So they'll be out in the foyer afterwards. You can see Mark then, but we are charging people $2 for them, given the production cost, but we think it'll be well worth it, and we're encouraging you to use this to bring it with you to church um, to use it amongst your family. Thanks, Mark. I'd like to publicly thank Sarah and Simon and uh, the others who are involved in the production of that booklet as well, Grace Jones, Brad Parsons, our designer, Andreas, uh, who comes here in the morning as well. It's been a big team effort and we're really proud of what we've created, so we hope it'll be a great blessing to you. Uh, Okay, part two, shorter this time. Uh, Assuming we have arrived at a solid foundation, we believe deep down that, yes, we want to resource God's mission. We can see that this is something God is wanting us to do. Question two... Well, how should we do that? What does it look like to actually give resources and whatever towards helping know Christ and make him known? What what does that look like? Now, I'll give just a little disclaimer here. If you're here today as a guest, it's great. We're stoked to have you. This part of this sermon is not directly addressed to you uh, because what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to help those of us who are regular members at WBC to see what it looks like to be on board with this. And so if you're just a guest, you're checking us out, you're visiting, it's great. Listen in, because this is what life at WBC kind of looks like. And so that might be helpful for you in thinking about finding a home here. All right, so how should we resource God's mission? I've got two quick answers for you. First one is this, by serving. Uh, By serving. This is one of the ways that we resource God's mission. It's one of the biggest ways uh, that we actually resource God's mission, giving our time and our energy and our efforts to labor towards knowing Christ and making him known. Uh, You might know uh, the famous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's one of the great chapters of the Bible that describes uh, the Christian church like a body. And it says that Jesus Christ is the head of that body and we are like all the different parts of the body. And we've all been given a different role to play in that body. Every part's absolutely essential. You might remember Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, that God by his spirit has given each one of us a different manifestation of the spirit for the common good. 
for the common good. He's saying he's given us spiritual gifts so that we can build one another up. And Paul says that this is crucial. This is how the body works. Every part does its job. Uh, The message of 1 Corinthians 12, it's really easy to remember. The message is just this. In the church, everybody is somebody. Everybody is somebody. Nobody is a nobody. In the Christian church, everybody is somebody. Nobody is a nobody. And so let me just draw a really quick implication from this kind of thumbnail sketch of the theology of 1 Corinthians 12. A quick implication from this is that everybody should be serving at WBC. If WBC is your home, the body needs you. God has designed his body to work in a way that has you serving for the common good, using the gifts that he's given. A hundred percent of us need to be doing that. Uh, Did you know that uh, um, after the Sandy Hook massacre in the US back in 2011, uh, that the authorities had to publicly uh, go and state and broadcast that they didn't want people to send any more gifts to the families in the community in Sandy Hook. They had received mountains of, of stuffed toys and gifts and, and flowers and well wishes and things like that, more than they could possibly distribute to this small community. They had so much resources that they didn't know what to do with. Similarly, back in 2012, uh, sorry, 2011, the uh, Japanese tsunami and the earthquake that hit Japan, there were stories that kept coming out at that time about aid organisations and volunteer centres just having to turn away hordes of volunteers. There were crowds of people who would come and volunteer to do jobs, clean up, helping in the repair after the tsunami, and there were just too many people. They didn't have enough jobs for them. They didn't have enough rubber gloves and all that kind of stuff, and they had to turn away crowds of people back in 2011 in Japan. Can I tell you, friends, we've never had that problem here at WBC. In my time, certainly, we have never had to shut our doors and say, I'm sorry, too many volunteers. We don't have any jobs for you. But can I say, I think that should be a problem we should have. That would be a great problem to have. And I think we should experience something like that because, because the cause of the gospel, the mission of God, more than any other cause in this world, even great causes like helping with disaster relief, the cause of the gospel should cause people to get up out of their seats, get off their hands, say, I'm here to serve. What can I do? Give me a job. I want to help. That is what the gospel should achieve. Now, in preparation for this today, I tried to do some uh, statistical analysis and figure out exactly uh, what the state of play is here in the morning services at WBC. As close as I can tell, it's pretty accurate that the 80-20 rule kind of holds true here in the morning services. You know the 80-20 rule? means 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Uh, it's true in almost every domain in society. And it seems to be roughly true here at WBC in the sense that 80% of the formal ministry that takes place at church is done by approximately 20% of the population of our morning services here. Now, as I share that with you, let me make a couple of provisos here. Uh, that, it's, uh, that 80-20 rule doesn't take into account all of the ways that you serve outside of WBC and you support God's mission work outside of our church walls. It doesn't take that into account, I'll admit that. Uh, it doesn't take into account all of the informal ways that many of you serve as well, by praying for people, praying for ministries, by encouraging one another, ministering to one another, by exercising that ministry of presence, which is so valuable, just turning up to stuff and, and being a support. There are so many of those kind of behind-the-scenes informal ways that 
everybody here serves, and we're so thankful for those ways, and I do want to thank you for serving in those ways and encourage you to continue to do so. Uh, and I, I should also, I want to take this opportunity to especially honour the people amongst us who serve behind the scenes doing those really kind of ugly, unglorious, dirty jobs. There are many people here at church who serve faithfully and who don't get any notice and recognition doing jobs that nobody else really wants to do. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that those parts of the body should be given special honour. And so I want to take this opportunity to thank you, especially if that's you and if you serve our church in that way. We really appreciate you. Even if we don't see it, remember that the Lord sees it and he's pleased by your service. With all of that being said, the 80-20 rule is still roughly true here in terms of the formal ministry. And I don't think that should be true. I think the 20% number of the people who are doing 80% of the work that number should be higher. I think everybody here should be involved in that. Don't you think so? You know, as, as elders, we want to see everybody who calls WBC their home serving in some way. That's one of the things that we pray for regularly. We think that everybody in God's family should be serving somehow, no matter what your maturity is, a, is as a Christian, no matter what your particular gifting is, and even, let me say, no matter what your stage of life is. You know, in God's kingdom, there is no age of retirement. There is no long service leave that you get after a good period of healthy service. There is no option at any point in the Christian life of putting up your heels and saying, oh, I'm not going to serve at the moment. I'm just going to let other people do that for me. That is not the pattern of the body of Christ. Every part must do its work in every stage of life that you are in. Now, look, yes, I'll admit Depending on what stage of life you're in, that's going to look very different, yes? Sarah, as a mum of five kids, it's going to look very different to how she serves, to how a single uni student serves here in church. It's going to look very different to how a retiree serves on a limited income, all that kind of stuff. But the principle is still true, isn't it? The principle that in God's church there are no spiritual consumers, only spiritual contributors. That is who we are. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. Everyone has a role to play in the body of Christ. Now, I also want to acknowledge that that's not going to be easy. <laughs> Part of the reason why many people don't necessarily serve is because it's going to mean that they have to give up something good to serve, to find time in their busy life uh, to serve God's people here. But can I tell you that as you look around this room, there are countless people who are making that decision every single week here at WBC, who are saying, I'm going to give up something good, something that I love doing, in order to make time to serve something that is even more important than that, someone who I love even more, my Lord Jesus. People make that decision every single week. And I want to remind you that it is an honor to serve and sacrifice for the sake of Christ, isn't it? And more than that, you remember what Jesus promises to people who have to sacrifice for him in this life? Jesus says, anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or wives or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Yeah, there is going to be a cost if you serve God in this way, but serving God's mission is worth it. And so let me just ask you here at the end of this first point, how are you going to serve God's mission here at WBC this year? How are you going to be involved, you personally? What steps are you going to take to helping us to know Christ 
and make him known? Do you know the answer to that question here for 2018? If you do know the answer to that question, that's great, good on you. Uh, may God bless you in whatever your endeavours and labours are this year. And if you, if you don't know the answer to that question today, you don't know how you're going to serve here at WBC, that's okay. But can I say, today's a great day to take a step towards figuring that out. The step that I would suggest that you take is that at morning tea, you go and you have a conversation with David Jones. David, do you just want to wave your hand up in the air here? This is David Jones, if you don't know him. David serves on our 10.30 service committee, which is a group of members here at 10.30 who exist to support you as a congregation. David's specific role in that, uh, in that committee, he told me this morning, it was to take care of the bits and bobs within our congregation. What that really means is that David is the one who helps us get people plugged into service opportunities. And so if you feel today like, yeah, I do want to serve. I want to be a part of resourcing God's mission. I want to give some time and energy to that. Go and have a conversation with David and he can help start you getting uh, pointed in the right direction. Serving, that's the first way that we resource God's mission. Secondly, second key way, and really quickly now, the other key way that we resource God's mission is by giving, by giving financially. Now, look, because we are so short on time, I'm just going to kind of offer us a summary a statement, I guess, on why and how we should give and that sort of thing. Uh, giving towards resourcing God's mission is something that every Christian is called to do. Every member of God's family is able to give something. And the scripture says that it doesn't actually matter how much you give. It doesn't matter what your dollar amount is because God sees our hearts. God sees our bank accounts and God calls us to share a proportion of what we have and what we earn. And he calls us to do it cheerfully and generously. That is how scripture calls us to participate in this kind of a way. And what I'm not doing this morning is I'm not standing up here and asking you to give more. That's not the purpose of, of this talk today. In fact, I don't want to say quite the opposite because that would imply giving less. Don't do that either. But uh, the purpose today of me talking about this is that I want to take some opportunities to thank you guys and to celebrate with you the grace that God has shown our church in recent months. Because the reality is that as a church, WBC has been very generous for a very long time. Our church budget has grown steadily over many years. And particularly in these last three or so months, we've seen God uh, work through you in really wonderful ways. I just want to take some time to acknowledge this, talk about it, thank God for the work that he has done and for your generosity. And so you might remember, first of all, a few months ago, we shared some news at our church members meeting and some of it in the bulletin that we were running about $15,000 behind our church budget back at the end of November. And that was concerning because that was quite a big amount of money for where we were at in the year at that stage. Uh, And we prayed about it and we asked God for provision. And if you haven't heard the news since then, we're really pleased to be able to say that uh, as of today, we are no longer behind budget as a church, uh, which is a wonderful thing that, that this deficit has been made up. And uh, can I say that our treasurer, Steve Edgecombe, is probably sleeping a lot better at night because of that. But we want to thank you for that, for your generosity, for the generosity of so many people who have given above and beyond what they normally do uh, towards this mission work here. We, th- we thank you for that and we want to celebrate it. Uh, but more than that, second thing to celebrate is that, uh, as you know, we've heard today from the Thai short-term mission. At the end of last year, we sent off a lot of people in our church on short-term mission trips and funding uh, projects with some of our gospel partners around the world. Uh, it's great to be able to report that all of those projects were funded to the degree that we wanted them to be and that we asked you guys to support. Uh, 
being able to send people like that and to give money away to God's work elsewhere in the world is such an immense privilege. And we want to thank God for the grace that he has given us in, in being able to give that way. Uh, the third thing that I want to tell you about and just thank you for again is that you probably heard uh, towards the beginning of this year that we wanted to start employing a ministry intern here at WBC, a guy named Chris Rothwell who goes to church in the evening. We wanted him to come and work for our church two days a week so that we could train him in gospel ministry and release him to go and do evangelism. And uh, I can report to you that the amount that we needed to raise to employ Chris two days, we've actually surpassed that. We're looking to be able to potentially bring him on for a third day later in the year. Uh, That amount has been fully raised and Chris has started work here at WBC last week, which is wonderful news. This is an incredible kindness of God through his people. And we want to celebrate that stuff with you and thank you for your generosity. And I do want to say as well, as, as, as much as we are riding high at the moment, we've got to make sure that we remember all the time the words of the Lord Jesus, that it is more blessed to give than receive. We're praying that as a church, WBC would always be a church that's marked by radical, sacrificial generosity. Because the truth is that our church has so many gospel opportunities right on our doorstep. You've probably heard already that our plans are to plant a church somewhere in the Illawarra in the next few years. God willing, we want to raise up and send more homegrown missionaries to far corners of the earth where Christ is not yet known. God willing, we want to employ more ministry interns that we can train up for the next generation of gospel ministry in Australia. We have so many great opportunities that we could do as a church, but it's going to require us to continue financially resourcing that mission. And so we want to invite you to please continue to do that, continue to give faithfully to the work that God is doing here. And thank you for all that you've done already. Now, look, uh, the last thing I want to say is uh, that if you're here today and you don't give to the work uh, of the gospel through WBC, but but WBC is your home, then I want to lovingly uh, urge you to consider that maybe today God is calling you to partner with us and to give financially. Uh, I'll draw your attention to one of these booklets. They're out on the church notice board in the foyer. A booklet is called Giving at WBC, and it explains the how and the why of giving and where your money goes when you give to the church and that sort of thing. If you are a regular here but you don't give financially to the work of the church, can I remind you that God has made you rich in Christ and he calls you to share a proportion of what you have, to share just as he has shared with you. So grab one of these booklets, have a read, have a pray about how you might partner with us here at WBC. That'll be great. Last thing that I want to do here this morning is just to remind you uh, that, yes, this serving of the gospel, this resourcing of God's mission, it is going to be costly. It is going to be costly, but God can be trusted when we labor and when we give towards his mission. See what Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 32. He reminds us that, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Our God is a good God. He is a generous God. He can be trusted, and his mission is worth our whole lives. Let's pray together. Our kind Heavenly Father, thank you for the generosity you have shown us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have made us rich in Christ. You have lavished on us every spiritual blessing. Thank you for the inheritance that we have in Christ that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And Thank you so much, Lord, that we get the privilege of partnering with the work that you are doing in this world. 
Lord, for everybody in this room, I pray that you'd please give us insight and wisdom into our own life and context to think about what steps you're calling us to take, what steps of obedience we might be able to take this year to partner with and resource your gospel mission. We ask this for the sake of Christ's glorious name. Amen.